morning, I just want to share with us a very simple, easy message titled One. It's a very simple message, nothing very complicated. We've all heard these things before. But the real challenge is in living by these truths on a regular, ongoing basis of being consistent in doing this that we already know. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. And, and uh, you know, if we make these one things that we're going to talk about today a priority in our lives, it's going to help us, uh, it's going to give us focus in the things we pursue. And it's also going to help us in giving us clarity in the decisions that we make as we make these one things important in our lives. And there are many one things like this in the Bible. We're going to pick out a few and not you know, necessarily look at all of them, but look at some of these one things. I want to talk about one hour, honoring God with our time. You know, the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us how much time to spend with God every day. It doesn't say you have to spend so many minutes in God's presence. It doesn't tell us, uh, you know, this is how much you have to uh, pray, and this is how much time you have to spend reading the Bible, and this is how much time you have to, how many songs you have to sing, and, you know, there's nothing like that. What the Word of God does tell us is to seek God daily. Like what the psalmist says in Psalm 145, verse 2, he says, Every day I will bless you. Every day I will seek you. I will praise your name forever and ever. So it's a daily thing. Every day, every day, every day I'm seeking God. And the Bible also does tell us to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, it says, pray without ceasing. So every day I seek God and it's a continual thing. I may be sitting at my desk. I may be uh, sitting in the classroom. I may be... Uh, uh, in the place of work, in front of my computer, whatever, and you're just seeking God. Constantly inside you, your heart is in tune with God, in communion with God. That's what the Bible does say. It doesn't necessarily specify how many minutes you have to give to God every day. But when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus is our role model. He's our perfect model, example for us to follow. And you find that the Lord Jesus himself took time out of his busy schedule. To be with God. To be with the Father. He would send people away. Multitudes away. After he fed you know 5,000 people. And he tells, tells his disciples. Hey you guys pick up these 12 baskets. They pick these baskets up. And they're all busy there. He said okay. Now you all go away. I need to be alone with God. I need to be alone with the Father. And he goes away. He spends time with the Father. He wakes up early in the morning. Mark 1.35. He wakes up early in the morning. He goes away to a quiet place. And he prays. And he seeks the Father. So Jesus did that. And he's our example, our model. But one very interesting example that Jesus set for us was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now this was like the critical moment in his life. He was about to go to the cross. He had his disciples with him. He brings his disciples to the garden. He leaves some of them behind and he takes three of his closest friends, best friends. He says, you come with me. 
he takes them, he goes aside, and he says, I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray with me. In this moment of crisis, in this most difficult time of his entire earthly life, he's asking his friends to pray with him. And, and then you and I would suppose that they would really, hey, come on, man, let's do it. You've never, never done an all-nighter, but tonight's our all-nighter. Let's do it, you know. We need to support Jesus. He's been good to us. He's been good to so many people. We need to step up to this occasion. You know, but what we find is these guys snooze off. You know, they just take a nice nap. So Matthew 26, verse 38, he said to them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Stay here and pray with me. Now, this is to his three best friends, Peter, James, and John. And then what happens? He came, verse 40 says, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Could you not even give me one hour? And then he reprimands them. He tells them in verse 41, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is so I want to suggest to you and me from this, and again, this is not law, this is not the 11th commandment or anything like that. I just want to suggest to you and me that if in this greatest moment of crisis, Jesus called his disciples to wait or pray with him for one hour. One hour, just give me one hour of your time. I need some support. Just give me one hour. I want to suggest to you and me that this is a good practice for us to follow, something to aim for in our time with God. That if you and I could try to maintain at least one hour with God every day. Now you work towards it. Say, Pastor, 15 minutes, my, I don't know what to say. My prayer list is over. I took five minutes, read the psalm. Ten minutes, I prayed. Prayed for my father, mother, uncle, auntie. It's all over. <laughs> You're saying one hour. What can I do for one hour? You know, you work towards it. You know, I'm not saying, you know, that tomorrow morning you'll wake up and you, that you will spend an entire hour. You may not. If you have not done that before, you may not be able to. You know, you struggle, may fall asleep somewhere around 20 minutes. But work towards it. Work towards maintaining at least one hour with God every day. You can. You know, when I first gave my heart to Jesus, when I gave my heart to Jesus, I was 12 years old, just before my 13th birthday, I gave my heart to Jesus. At that time, nobody told me to read the Bible. So I wasn't actually reading the Bible. I was just going to this chapel service in the afternoon, you know, and coming back. And then one day, uh, one of my senior friends, he said, hey, are you reading your Bible? Oh, I'm supposed to read? Okay. So I started reading my Bible. And so... Uh, what I would do is, I said, the best time for me to read the Bible is in the morning. So I'll just wake up, you know, five, ten minutes early. And I'll read the Bible, then I'll go to school. So I started doing that. And in order to accomplish that, I needed the help of an alarm clock. Right? Let's put up 15 minutes ahead of time that I normally get up. Get up at 5.45. Keep that 15 minutes for the Lord. Then go, feel good. You know, I spent 15 minutes. So I started reading the Bible, started reading some books about the Bible. And I found this verse in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. It says, the Lord, Isaiah 50, verse 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I may know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He wakens me morning by morning. 
he awakens my ear to hear as the learned i said god the bible says you wake me up morning by morning okay so from tomorrow no need alarm clock god you wake me up and whatever time you wake me up i will get up and i want this verse to be fulfilled that you will speak to me that i will hear what you have to say and so i did away with the alarm clock just prayed this prayer before i go to sleep expecting god to wake me up now there's nothing very spiritual about this whatever time i woke up that was the time god woke me up it wasn't like god came knocking at the door you know wasn't like that just whatever time i woke up i took it god's telling me to wake up and so what happened i saw my time go slowly from 5:45 it became 5:30 5:15 5:00 4:45 4:30 now god's awake don't worry o'clock and I began to average or kind of leveled off between 3.45 to 4. So every morning, I think this was at least from my 8th or 9th standard all the way to my 12th standard. Every morning my habit was, it wasn't necessarily my habit, I just felt God just worked it in my life. So I would wake up between 3.45, 4 o'clock in the morning and spend 3 hours with God till 7. Then 7, 7.30, get ready, go to school. Now, nobody told me to spend three hours with the Lord. It's not a commandment. But it was just something spontaneous. The heart that wants to seek God. That's all. So now, I don't even worry how many hours. I just spend time with God. Get up in the morning. Just spend. Sometimes it'll be the middle of the night. Just get up and pray. and Just, just spend time. And hours don't matter anymore now. It's, it's just fun hanging out with God. Amen. So I want to challenge all of us. Try one hour, at least one hour. Move towards that, that you spend time with God. Now, when I would be spending three hours with the Lord, I had a structure to what I was doing. I would spend, thing, I would, this is what normally I would do. I would spend like the first 30 minutes, I would spend in um, meditating in certain scriptures I wanted to meditate on, build myself on. I would spend another 30 minutes making declaration of my faith. I would speak the word of God over my life, my present and my future. Then I'll spend an hour in praying in tongues. Just pray in the spirit. Just pray in tongues. See, you don't need prayer lists when you pray in tongues. The Holy Spirit makes it so easy for you. Just pray in tongues. Spend about an hour just praying in tongues. And I'll spend the next hour just reading the Bible, meditating in the word of God. So three hours is gone. I'll just find this three hours insufficient to be in the presence of God. So you find some sort of a format to your time with God. Whatever it is. Maybe you're somebody who loves to sing songs. So you might spend one hour just singing and worshiping. And I can't sing. I try to sing at least, you know. Oh, I try to just worship God and sing. But for you, maybe singing may be the thing. So you spend an hour, maybe two hours just singing and worshiping God. And uh, spending another hour in the Word. However it is, you find what makes, you know, what, what is best for you. But try to let, at least go for one hour a day. One hour. I think it's not, it's not a whole lot. And uh, don't seal off at one hour. Eh? Keep it open. Say, Lord, take me here, from here. Any, any time, anything more, take me into it. And you'll see the Lord is giving you the grace to spend even more time with him. And it's not at all going to be burdensome. It's not going to be, oh, no, i got to pray for one hour. This next Sunday morning, pastor will make it two hours. <laughs> it's not like that. It's just something spontaneous 
something that comes from your heart to seek the Lord. The next thing I want to talk about, the next one thing I want to look at is one day. So one hour, honoring God with your time. One day, honoring God with your work week. Where you and I make a choice to set aside one day of the week where the primary focus is to be rested, renewed, refreshed in God spiritually. I don't understand why God did this, but in creation, after he, he spent six days doing what he did, and the Bible says on the seventh day, God rested. I don't think he felt tired. I don't think he said, oh man, that was a lot of work creating the sun and those planets out there and I spent a lot of energy. Let me just regain my energy. I don't think he rested because of that. But I think he did it more to set an example, a precedent for you and me to follow. Genesis chapter 2 verses 1, 2, 3, it says, you know, after he created all things, on the seventh day the Lord rested. He ceased from his works. That I've done everything, I'm going to take a break. He did it probably more for you and me so that we could then follow that example that we keep a day of our work week to just seek God, to be in His presence, to rest and renew ourselves spiritually. Now, if you and I were living in the Old Testament, we would not have had a choice. It was a command. I think it was the fourth command in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Thou shalt keep the Sabbath day holy unto the Lord. It's a command. No choice. Seventh day, you have to rest. Otherwise the Pharisee would be ready with the stones to stone you or something. Yeah. It was a command of the Lord for you to rest on the Sabbath day. But when you come into the New Testament, we are not under such commands. You look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Paul says, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Paul had just completed, if you look at the, rest, the previous part of chapter 2, he just completes saying that Jesus took the law, he nailed the ordinance of the law, he took it out of the way on the cross. And then he goes down and he says, therefore, don't let anybody judge you, let nobody dictate terms to you on observing anything of the law. In the Old Testament, thou shalt eat this and thou shalt not eat this. In the New, New Testament, that's no longer in effect. In the Old Testament, you were judged in what you would drink and what festival to keep and what days to observe and Sabbaths to keep. That's no longer in effect in the New Testament. Paul says those were just the shadows of things to come. They were not the reality. They were only pointing to the substance and that substance is Jesus Christ. So let nobody judge you. And tell you what you should eat, not eat, what you should drink, not drink, which day you should observe, not observe. Even the Sabbath day is no longer in effect in the New Testament. Amen? Because he says those were just shadows. 
the substance. They were pointing to the reality. The reality is Jesus Christ. In him, everything is complete. In him, there is no new moon or full moon or half moon. Or in him, there is, he is our Sabbath. He is our rest. Right? So let nobody judge you in these things. So when you come to the New Testament, it's no longer an issue of do I have to keep the Sabbath or not. It's not that, about that. What we find is that in the New Testament, believers chose to come together on a day to worship God, to fellowship, and to build each other up. And that practice is then therefore encouraged for the church to follow. What we find in the New Testament, it moves away from the Sabbath day to the first day of the week. Jesus Christ rose up on the first day of the week. The church was born on the first day of the week. Pentecost always took place on the first day of the week. And it was on that day, the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Ghost was poured out and the church was born on the day of Pentecost. And if you look at the early church, they practiced meeting on the first day of the week. They set that day aside to come together. Acts chapter 20, look at two examples here. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Aren't you glad that your pastor's sermons maximum go for one hour? I mean, Paul started preaching. And I don't know what time he started. It just says it was the first day of the week. They all met together. They had the Lord's table. They broke bread. And Paul began. They said, okay, let's welcome Brother Paul. He's going to speak to us. He had the word of God. And that's it. He went on till midnight. That was a long sermon. In other words, they got together on the first day of the week just to spend time with God and with each other. To worship God, to seek God. That was it. Nothing else. You find another reference in 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter. Verses 1 and 2. 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. Paul is saying, you know, I'm setting things in order in all the churches that I'm establishing. So this is something that all the early churches practiced. What do they do? Verse 2. On the first day of the week. So that means on the first day of the week, they're all coming together. What else do you do when you come together? Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So he set it a practice in the churches. On the first day of the week, when you come together, you also bring your offering to God. So, first day of the week. A time when believers come together, they worship God, they hear long sermons, and they also bring their offering to God. They bring their collections to God. So, so why do you take offering every Sunday? It's in the Bible. The first day of the week. When you come together, you set aside something as God has prospered you. You set aside something so that you don't have, you know, sudden collection one day. Everybody give all the tithes you owe. <laughs> it's not like that. First of all, just come and set aside. 
what you want to give to the Lord. Later on in uh, the book of Hebrews, and it's likely that Paul wrote it. We don't know exactly for sure, but Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 27, you, you see this admonition, meaning a command, but not necessarily as the Old Testament command, but something that is invited for believers to do as an expression of their heart toward the Lord. Hebrews 10, 24 to 27, he says, let us consider one another, meaning look out for each other. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, encourage each other towards love and good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, let us look out for each other. Let's encourage one another to come together uh, and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. When did they assemble? The first day of the week. They would all assemble themselves together. And he says, don't, for, don't forsake this. Don't stop this. Keep at it. Make this a way of life for you as believers. And look out for one another. If you find anybody not coming to church, that's why you get a phone call from church. Hey, where were you on Sunday? We're obeying the word, you know. <laughs> you look out for one another. That nobody stops doing this. Come together. Assemble together for worship, for prayer, for giving of fellowship. And the context is that this is going to help us keep from sin. It's going to help us live godly lives. So this coming together on Sundays is really of great value for our spiritual walk. Amen. It is true we are not under the Old Testament law of the Sabbath, but in the New Testament, God does not require us to walk out of law. He invites us to walk out of love for Him. Amen? And so because we love Him, we come together on Sundays. We worship together. We give together. We encourage each other. We hear the Word of God together. Now, again, it's, the importance is not on the day, but it is on what we are called to do together as the body of Christ. It's not on that day per se. You know, it's like, oh, Sunday uh, is the only day I can come together. No, we can come together maybe on some other day. For example, there are people out in the Middle East, they meet on Fridays. So that's their day off. They come together. It's not like, you know, church in heaven is locked on Fridays. <laughs> Sorry. It's not like that. Whatever day you all come together, the point is, it's not the day. It's what we're doing together as people of God. Maybe in some part of the world they want to meet on Wednesdays. It's fine. But you're assembling together on that particular day. In most parts of the world, including ours, Sunday is the day. So we come together as believers on Sunday to worship, to hear the word, study the word, to fellowship, to give to the Lord. It's the Lord's day, as John writes. It's the day of the Lord, Lord's day. Now, just to give you a couple of scriptures that the importance is not in the day, but in what we're doing. In Romans chapter 14, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, One person esteems one day above another, 
another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. So he's saying, you know, one person, he says Sunday is a holy day. Other person says every day is a holy day for me. Okay, you be fully persuaded in your own minds. You know, how you want to treat that day in each day is up to you. So it's not the day that you're, that's important, but it's what you're doing unto the Lord that's important. That you are saying, Lord, on this day, because I'm part of this church family, and this church family meets on Sunday, I'm doing this as unto you. I'm going to hear the word. I'm going to work, worship you together uh, with, with the rest of believers. I'm going to give and honor you with my giving. So it's, it's not the day, but it's what you're doing unto the Lord. It's like what Jesus said in Mark 2.27. He said, the Sabbath was made for you, for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's, the day is given to you for you to do, choose and decide how you want to use it. And you choose to use it as unto the Lord. Amen? Now, in our context, I know sometimes doing this thing, which for us may seem so simple, for some of us it can be challenging. Now, if you're working in a call center where they may want you to work, you know, Saturday night, 9 o'clock to Sunday morning, 9 a.m., or, or you may be put on shift, so you may, your job may require you to work on Sundays, you know, you're part of a restaurant business or something else where, you know, your, your off day can just keep moving. Some of us may be facing challenges just for this simple thing. I'm not able to go on Sunday to worship God. And I want to propose to you that you always have a choice. You have a choice. And you can choose to keep the Lord's Day as the Lord's Day. I'm not telling you that if you don't make it to church on Sunday, you know, fire and brimstone will fall on you on Monday. <laughs> That's not it. But what I'm saying is, you're making a choice to do this one day as unto the Lord. Keep this one day as unto the Lord. You know, there are examples of men, of people who've made, who've taken this so seriously and God has honored them. One of the most outstanding examples, and I'll just mention two, again, this, these examples may be familiar to you. One of the most outstanding examples of a man taking a stand to keep the Lord's Day is the founder of Chick-fil-A, Druid Cathy. Uh, he started a restaurant back in 1946. At that time, he called it um, the Dwarf Grill. started out in Georgia. Uh, and then later on, uh, you know, it changed over into the, uh, what we now know as the Chick-fil-A chain of restaurants. He was uh, the inventor of the boneless chicken breast sandwich. And all of you imagining, wow, nice. He invented that. And he was also the first person to take restaurants into malls in America. So he started back in 1946. Now, Truett Cathy made this decision. From the day he started his restaurant business in 1946, he made this decision that his restaurant will be closed on Sunday. Now, it's the craziest decision for somebody running a restaurant. 
Sunday is the day most people want to go out and eat. But he made a decision from the day he started that he will keep his restaurant closed on Sundays. And then, of course, it evolved into Chick-fil-A and every franchise of Chick-fil-A will be closed. It is still closed on Sundays. Now, here's the information that he shares. He's, he has often shared that his decision was as much practical as spiritual. He believes that all franchise Chick-fil-A operators and their restaurant employees should have an opportunity to rest, spend time with family and friends, and worship if they choose to do so. That's why all Chick-fil-A restaurants are closed on Sundays. It's part of our recipe for success. For him, it's like, hey, this is one of the things that, going to, that is going to make us successful. And here's the story. Over the years, Chick-fil-A has steadily grown to become the second largest quick-service chicken restaurant chain in the United States. With over 1,600 locations in 39 states, uh, in 2011, their annual sales was over 4.1 billion. It is still privately held. And the last 44 years, 44 consecutive years, they've had positive sales growth year after year. And Chick-fil-A is, the most, or the, is among the, the most popular chicken sandwiches in the United States. Has God honored him? Yes, and a whole lot more. Amen? So is it possible for us to honor the Lord with one day of the week? Yes. Sometimes it may seem like crazy that you would ask your boss, boss, I want Sundays off because I need to go to church. Or I will not do something on Sunday. Truth Cathy, from the day he started, made a decision and God has honored him. Eric Little is another great famous man who took a stand. Many of you know his story from the movie Chariots of Fire. He was born into a missionary family. He was a great athlete. And in 1924, he was uh, going to take part in the 1924 Summer Olympics in Paris. And little, little Eric Little's main event was 100 meters. That was his best event. But a few months prior to the Olympics... Paris Olympics, 1924. When they gave out the schedule, his 100-meter event, a heat, was on the Sunday, the Lord's Day. And he said, I will not run. So somebody else on his team would take his place. But he kind of prepared himself to run the 200 and the 400 meters. These were not his main events. So here he was at the 1924 Olympics, Missing his main event, the 100 meters. He ran the 200 meters, he won a bronze. He ran the 400 meters, he set an Olympic record that stood for the next 12 years. And that was not his main event. What actually happened on that day when he was, was getting up to the starting line for the 400 meters, one of his people in the team came and gave him a little piece of paper. With 1 Samuel 2.30 written on it, the Lord says, those who honor me, I will honor. And God honored him. The next year, in 1925, he took part in the Scottish Association uh, Athletic uh, event. He won the hundreds, 
the 220 meter yard dash, the 400 meters, and the relay. He won four medals. God honored him. And he then went on to become a missionary to China. So are there people who honored the Lord by observing or keeping that one day, one day as unto the Lord? Yes. And God has honored them. Amen. So why not you and me in our day, in our time, in our generation to honor God with one day of the week and see what God does for us. The next one thing I want to talk about is one-tenth. This is honoring God with our money. So one hour, honor God with your time. One day, honor God with your week. One-tenth is honor God with your money. God has taught us to worship Him in several ways. And one of the ways we worship God is worshiping Him with our money. And one of the things that the Bible teaches us is to give one-tenth. One-tenth simply is 10%. Simple calculation, very easy. Honor God with one-tenth of, of the money that comes to you. And you give a 10% to God. And God says it's a way to honor Him and worship Him. One passage we just referred to is Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 12 again, very familiar to many of us. God says, will a man rob God? Did you rob me? But you say, in what way have you robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me enough, and this says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the wine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So he says you bring one tenth. You bring it in to the storehouse. You give it to the house of the Lord. In my own personal life, I, when I, as I became a believer, I started reading it and I got to know that day hey, I'm supposed to give one-tenth. I used to go to the Methodist church and the pastors always come and say, let's worship God with our tithes and offerings. And I really thought about what he was saying. You know, until I became a believer. And uh, I began to read the Bible and the Bible said, you need to bring one-tenth to the Lord, your tithe. And uh, uh, in those days, uh, at that time, we were, uh, I, used to, I went to the Vacation Bible School, VBS and the Methodist Church. And they said, okay, kids, all of you do some work at home, earn some money, and bring that money to church. Right? So I said, okay, let me figure out what, what I can do. I came up with this idea. I said, Dad, I'll polish your shoes, but you have to pay me 50 paisa every time I polish your shoes. Because I'm supposed to earn money. VBS is teaching me to do that. So that was a deal. So I would polish dad's shoes, charge him 50 paisa, collected all that money and gave it to church. And I felt good about it. Uh, gave it to VBS. Felt good about it. And I said, hey, this is a good, good idea. Let's keep, keep it going. And dad was fine with it. So every morning, I would polish his shoes, slowly increase it to one rupee. <laughs> the highest I went was two rupees per pair, you know. You don't make money, right? So I would polish dad's shoes. I'll keep an account of it. At the end of the month, I'll collect the money. And I would give 10% of that to God. You know, so some months in the beginning, I'd earn 10 rupees at the end of the month. I felt very proud, you know, giving two rupees to God. I was honoring God with my tithe. 
and then I continued. So throughout school, did that. Then I went to college, did my engineering. Uh, Dad used to send me money for the monthly expense, you know, pay your mess bill, hostel fees, and some money for your living expenses. I would first take the tithe, 10%. That money's been given to me. Now it's in my hands. I would take 10% out of it, give it to God. And then with the rest, take care of all the other things. Now when I went to the United States to do my master's, it became a little more challenging because they'd give you a stipend. And you've got to live off that stipend. Giving 10% was quite difficult, but I still did it. And then I remember now, I, I, I wanted to just trust God for scholarship. I wanted to have my whole tuition, my education paid for. And at that time, I remember I had so much confidence asking God. Because I said, God, from the time as a young boy, I was polishing shoes, I made sure I gave my tithe. And your word says, you will open to me the windows of heaven. So now, God, I'm in a situation where I need the windows of heaven open upon my life. And God was faithful. My education was paid for on scholarship. Amen. And I learned something at that time. I learned that if you honor God with your money, God will give to you more than what your money can buy. He'll give you more than what you can buy. And it's true. So just honor God with your money. And now just serving here at church. In the last night, and I'm saying this to provoke you, not, not to boast, but the last 12, from the time we started All People's Church, I decided I will not take a salary from the church. I'm going to work. I'll serve as a full-time volunteer in the church, a volunteer pastor. So the last 12 and uh, whatever, and I was close to 13 years coming up Feb, only one year I took any money from the church, an honorarium. The remaining years, I never taken any money. I just... My needs are met through the business. But I serve as a volunteer pastor for all people's church. Amen. And I can tell you, God's been so wonderful. Amen. So I want to challenge you. And I'm not against being a full-time minister and supported by the church. I'm not against it. What I'm saying is you can make a choice and God will honor you. Amen. And uh, I, I'm, I can just pay myself a good salary from the business and serve happily in the church, and, and God's just been amazing. Amen. So you honor God, not only with your tithe, but go beyond it. Give more. I give my time, and just give whatever I can for the work of the Lord, and I don't charge God for it. <laughs> just joking. And just give it all to the Lord. Say, God, here it is. It's not just 10%, it's all of me. Take it. Use it. Amen. Honor God with your tithe. Now, here are some questions many people have about the tithe. First, people, the moment you start talking about tithe, and there are some books written by different people where they say the tithe is an Old Testament thing. New Testament, you don't have to practice. Well, you answer that question in two ways. First of all, the tithe was not just part of the Old Testament law. It was practiced before the law, centuries before the law came in. Abraham was the first person recorded who gave tithes. Genesis the 14th chapter. You read about Abraham in Genesis 14 and verse 20. He gives tithes to Melchizedek. Now he's not doing it because of the law of Moses. This is well 
hundreds of years before the law of Moses. He is giving it as a way of honoring God. God had given him a victory in battle. One tenth of all that he, he gave it to Melchizedek, who represented to him a, a priest of God. Jacob gave one tenth in Genesis I'm um, just make mention of that verse here. In Genesis 28 and verse 22, Jacob gives a tithe to the Lord. Not because of the law of Moses, but because he wanted to worship God. Amen? So for those who say the tithe is only part of the Old Testament law, you say, no, no, no. The tithe is an act of faith. It's not a work of the law. It's a work of faith. Abraham was a father of faith and he gave his tithes to the Lord. And then when Jesus comes in, New Testament, Matthew 23, 23, Jesus approves the giving of the tithe. And he never says that you'll give only tithe for the, until I die on the cross. No. He approves the giving of the tithe. He says you should do that as well as follow mercy and justice and so on. In Matthew 23, 23. And then when you get to the book of Hebrews, the seventh chapter, the writer of Hebrews draws a parallel between Abraham and Melchizedek. He says, Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a type of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a high priest. An eternal, the true eternal high priest. So if Melchizedek received tithes, would not Jesus also receive tithes? Yes. And so we who are descendants of Abraham give our tithes not to Melchizedek, but we give our tithes to the true eternal high priest who is Jesus Christ. Amen? What Abraham did was an example for those who walk the walk of faith. So tithing is not part of the law. Tithing is part of a life of faith. Amen? In the law, God instituted it, made it part of the law, and he gave them instructions on how to use the tithe. But we don't follow that. We follow Abraham, who gave his tithe out of faith. And Melchizedek received it. Today, Jesus Christ receives our tithe. Hebrews chapter 7. Amen? Some other questions I'll just run through quickly that people ask about giving one-tenth to the Lord, to the tithe. Uh, must I give my tithes to the local church? Now, here's, this is a tough question. I've struggled with it as well. Now, the New Testament does not say, thou shalt bring thy tithe to the local church. But when you look at the pattern in the Old Testament, what did God say? He said, bring all the tithes to the storehouse. In those days, you didn't have many denominations and many local churches all over the place. There's one place you go and worship God in the temple. So whichever house of God is closest that you were part of in your region, you took your tithe there. So while the New Testament does not say that your tithe must go to the local church, I would present to you that your tithe must come to the local church. Now, if you feel you want to do differently, that's fine, but you answer to God. Amen? And I'm not saying that if you don't give your tithe to the local church, God will strike you down or God will get angry with you. My response to the question, if people ask me, should I give my tithe to the local church? My answer will be, well, based on what we see in the Old Testament, God said bring the tithe to the storehouse, meaning it's the house of God. What's the paddle in the New Testament? It's the local church. Bring your tithes there. Amen? Now, I'm not saying this because we want to increase our revenues in the church or anything. I'm just saying it because we need to understand what the Word of God says. Another question people ask is, can I divide my tithe? You know, can I give 
portion here and portion there and portion there. Listen, if you want to do that, do that. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says Abraham gave all his tithes to Melchizedek. God says in Malachi 3, bring all the tithes to my storehouse. So, my answer to that question is, all your tithe goes to the local church. If you want to do it differently, it's fine. You answer to God, that's it. Amen? And we don't check up on anybody, honestly. We don't check up on anybody who is giving tithe, who is not giving tithe. They're giving full tithe, not half tithe. We don't do any of that. I'm just sharing with you what I believe. Last question. What if I cannot afford to give my tithe? Due to expenses and debts. And now some of us may be in financial difficulty where you're earning barely enough to make it through the month. And giving a tithe may be a very difficult thing. What do I do in a situation like that? My suggestion is that you work towards coming to a place where you can give your tithe. So here are some things you would need to do. First of all, you need to cut down your expenses. See ways that you don't spend so much so that you can honor God with the tithe. And then work towards it. Slowly increase your giving and come to a place where we are then able to give God that full tithe and offerings and you live off the rest. But work towards it. Don't feel condemned right now just because you're, maybe things are very difficult. See, God doesn't love you because you tithe. God loved all of us when we were worse sinners. Amen? Tithing is our expression of love towards God. It's not about, you know... Uh, God doesn't need that money. And I promise you, the money you give here, we don't send it to heaven. You know, we use it right here. It's not like God needs that money. It's for the work of his kingdom to bless other lives and, and get the word of God out and touch the nation and so on. Uh, but, so don't feel like, you know, God loves you because you're tired and he doesn't love you because you don't. And it's not like that. God loved us when we were still sinners. But, he has given us opportunities to honor him with our time, with our week, and with our money. And we just respond out of a heart of love. Last two things I want to talk about. The next one thing is one thing. Honoring God with our hearts. The psalmist said in Psalm 27 verse 4, One thing I have desired of the Lord. That will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He said, there's one thing, that that's what I want to go after. I want to seek God. That's my one thing. What's the one thing that burns in your heart? What's the one thing that you want to give yourself to? It is to seek the Lord. The question that you and I must constantly ask ourselves, is God the one thing in my life or am I following, you know, career? Has career become more important to me than God? Has making money, has success, has ministry, has preaching, has doing work for God? Has all these things become more important than the one thing of seeking God? You know, Sometimes, especially for those of us in ministry, we seek God because of ministry. Honestly. Oh, next time, tomorrow I have to go preach, so I better pray today. But that's wrong. For me, and I, I, I'm ready to give up everything. I could give up 
everything. Say, God, I don't need ministry to seek you. I love you, therefore I seek you. You are one thing in my life. Amen. I read the Bible not because I had to preach sermons. I read it because I love it. I pray not because I had to go preach. I pray and seek God because I love him. Amen. It really doesn't matter whether I preach or not. It really doesn't matter whether I pastor a church or not. It doesn't matter at all. For me, I seek God because I love him. Amen. Is God the one thing in your life? Jesus told us this in Mark 12, 29, 31. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love him. This is the first commandment. Love him. Is God the one thing in your life? Or has that one thing been replaced by something else? Always maintain your love for the Lord and keep it more important than anything else. The last one thing is I want to talk about is one mind. Honoring God with our attitude. It's important for us as believers to be a people of one mind. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. He says, I plead you brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you. That you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. You know, I, I look around at churches to see how churches operate, both in our city and elsewhere. There is a high ratio of churches that end up dividing, dividing, dividing. They grow because they fight. Not the devil, but among each other. And church splits. And church splits. And church splits. And you find that all over, even our city. And therefore, you find many pastors, they work on keeping the church together with strict policies. Some churches, you keep people together with an iron fist. Anybody tries to disrupt anything, they're sent out, excommunicated. Why? They want to maintain unity. But I think that's the wrong way to have unity. The right way is for all of us spontaneously understand the importance of being of one mind. We understand that we are all different. God made us all different. And we appreciate the differences. But we maintain oneness of mind in the life of faith in our pursuit of purity, in our pursuit of the power of God, in our desire to see the kingdom of God, we have one mind. That's what keeps us together. Amen? And that's the way we try here at APC. All people say, it's not to keep us one with all these rules and, you know, being strict and all. Yeah, we have certain policies and we have certain ways of doing things, but that we don't depend on those things to keep us together. We are inviting all of us to choose to be a people of one mind. That we will pursue together. 1 Corinthians 12, and I'll just refer to verses 4 to 27, is an amazing passage that Paul describes the church. You know, he says, there are diversities of gifts by the same spirit. There are differences of offices, but it's the same Lord. There are differences of operations, of workings, but it's the same God who's working through each one. So he's saying, look, 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 look. 
there are different gifts, same Holy Spirit, different ministries, same God who's being served, different ways of doing things, same God who's at work. Amen? So let's appreciate the different ways in which God works, the different gifts He's given to people, the different kinds of ministries. For example, I never really thought one day we will have something called performing arts ministry. People dancing on stage. I never really thought of that. You know? But then here came this girl, she was dancing all the time. And she started getting others to dance with her. I said, maybe this is a ministry. And out of that came the performing arts ministry. And Miriam is heading it up. What happens? You recognize there are diversities of ministries. It's God who's working. Appreciate, acknowledge it. Don't say, no, we are a church. Nobody's going to dance in church. Relax. Appreciate diversities of ministries. As you continue on in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the fact that none of us are independent of each other. He said, just because you're the eye, you cannot say I'm not of the body. Just because you're the hand or the leg, you cannot say I'm not of the body. In other words, your uniqueness does not cause you to disconnect from the body. Amen? God has made you unique. God has made you different. But don't let your individuality, which God designed, disconnect you from the body. Just because you're the I, don't say, I don't belong to the body. No, you're still part of the body. And then on the other hand, he continues. The eye, I, I mean, the, if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were a hearing, where were the speaking? In other words, we can't make everybody look the same. We are not, we are not Xerox copies. Right? So on the other flip side, don't try to make everybody look, smell, speak the same. No. God has made us all different. Appreciate each one's uniqueness, each one's uh, mix of gifts and talents. And in the midst of all that, Paul says, we are one body in Christ. Amen? And God says, you know, he continues there, he says, you know, the parts of the body that seem less honorable, God gives it more honor. So therefore, it doesn't matter what function you have in the body. You may not be up on the stage talking all the time. Your function may be something that's not very visible, but God gives you more honor. Amen? For those of you who serve behind the scenes, you come early, do all the setup, nobody watches you. They only watch this preacher. He talks all the time. And she's like, how come I don't get as much attention as he does, you know? Listen. Paul says, verse 1 is 12. There are parts of the body that are not as visible as other parts of the body. But God gives them honor equally. In fact, the parts of the body that are not visible are more important than the ones that are visible. Amen? So don't be worried about what your role is, whether how much prominence, how much stage time, how much pulpit time you get. That doesn't matter at all. Each one of us are part of the body. Each one of us have got a different function. We all work together for the glory of God. So our attitude must be, we are of one man. We're going to flow together. Amen? So don't criticize differences you see in fellow believers. Just because they are different, don't criticize them. Amen? 
Some believers wear all white. You like to wear white, wear white. Some believers don't wear gold. Some believers wear gold. Right? We'll get to heaven. We'll both get to heaven. You know, so, some believers don't go to the movie theaters. Some believers go to movie theaters. question is what you're watching. <laughs> you could not go to the movie theater, feel very religious, but watch all garbage on your TV. You know? So we don't, you know, oh, all people's church, man, they're so worldly. They all go to the movie theater, including the pastor. You know? What a worldly church. <laughs> all right. So we kind of judge, don't judge each other by these little differences. You don't want to go to movie theater, fine. He wants to go, fine. I mean, it's not whether the, the, the theater is not the point. The point is what do you watch? Because nowadays you can watch the same thing in your home. So we have all these differences. Don't criticize, don't judge a believer for all these unnecessary things. And don't fight what you don't understand. I mean, I, I, this is like the funniest thing. People fight stuff which they don't understand. They have no clue what speaking in tongues is about, but they want to fight it. They write books about why you shouldn't speak in tongues. And they have never spoken in tongues themselves. It's like, don't fight what you don't understand. God's bigger than your brain. So don't fight it. Let it go. If you don't understand it, it's okay. As long as God's being glorified, leave it alone. Amen? So, we are of one mind. We are, in spite of all our differences, our, we will appreciate each other. We will flow together in the spirit of faith, in passion for God, in purity, in power. Because for us, at the end of the day, we want to see His kingdom come. Amen? So, I want to encourage all of us to do the one. One hour, one day, one tenth, one thing, one mind. One hour, one day, one tenth, one thing, one mind. I want you to please take a few moments just to respond to the word of God this morning. And... Uh, just whatever God has spoken into your heart, would you just respond to him and say, okay, God, you've spoken to me about this, this, and this, and I want to do it. Maybe you've been already doing all of this. It's nothing new. You've been already practicing these things, and that's good. Just pray and say, God, thank you for the reminder. I will keep at these things. Give me the grace. Just continue being consistent in all of these things. Or maybe for some of us, we've kind of let things slack a bit in some of these areas. Then this morning, just pray and say, okay, God, you reminded me. You're calling me back to this and this and this. And so here I am, Lord, this morning, just re um, renewing my commitment to obey you, to follow your words in these areas of my life. I want to do the one in my life. I want to just try and press in for that one hour a day. I want to maintain that one day a week of just being renewed and refreshed in the Spirit and honoring God in that day. I want to give to you at least one-tenth and more for your kingdom. My time, my talents, everything. I just want to give to the Lord. 
I want to I want you to be the one thing in my life God doesn't matter what else you do in my life doesn't matter how you bless me doesn't matter what opportunities you give me doesn't matter what success I see doesn't matter what I achieve in life you are the one thing that I seek Lord and God I want to be one mind with the rest of this body I'm a part of this house we're all very different God has blessed us all differently but yet we want to be a people of one mind in the spirit not made by rules and regulations and policies but we are of one mind because we want to see the same Lord exalted we want to see his purpose fulfilled we want to see his kingdom come we want to see our city reached our nation reached and therefore we will be of one mind we will not criticize each other for all these petty differences and small things that make us different we will appreciate each other's differences so let's take a moment just to respond to god and say lord you are the one in my life thank you o god thank you o god the bible tells us once again the bible says there is one god and one mediator between god and man the man christ jesus There's only one mediator. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, the life." There's only one way, only one truth, only one person who is life. It's Jesus Christ. Maybe you have not yet opened your heart to Jesus. Maybe you're struggling, or maybe you knew the truth but you haven't really walked in it. And maybe this morning you say, "Yes, Jesus, I want you to be the one thing in my life." I want to just lead you in a little prayer this morning. to help you make that decision is anyone here and you want to invite Jesus Christ into your heart into your life and let him be the one thing in your life to be the savior your your lord and if you've never done it before or maybe you have and you wandered away from it and you want to rededicate you recommit your life to the lord would you just pray this prayer with me lord jesus this morning I welcome you to be the Lord of my life. Be the one thing in my life. Be Lord, be Lord and God over everything in my life. Forgive my sins. I believe you died for me on the cross and that you rose up again. From this day Lord I will follow you for the rest of my life in Jesus name Amen Arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you Though darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people yet the Lord shall arise upon you and his glory shall be seen upon you In Jesus name. Everyone say Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Do the one. Keep doing the one. God bless. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact@apcwo.org. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.